A reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the nut to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The word of God for the people of God. So the scientist Albert St. Giorgi used to tell this, this story. Albert St. Giorgi was a, a Nobel-winning scientist. He was, was one of the people who helped to discover vitamin C. He was born in, in Budapest. As a young man, he served his nation in the First World War, and that's when this story takes place. The story goes that during the First World War, there were a, a troop of Hungarian soldiers who were stationed out in the mountains. They were stationed in the Alps on the border between Hungary and, and Italy. And the story goes that one day the captain of the troops who were stationed out there on the border decided to send out a scouting party. And so he selected a handful of soldiers and he sent them off out into the mountains. And not long after the soldiers left their camp, it started snowing. And the snow came down harder and harder and harder until it became a full-blown blizzard. It was a complete and total whiteout, zero visibility. And the snow kept on coming down hour after hour after hour until the captain started to worry that he had sent his men out to their death in the storm. After one whole day had passed with no word from the soldiers, he was beyond worried. After two days had passed, he gave them up for dead. He decided decided that they must have perished out there in the mountains. But then on the third day, suddenly and unexpectedly, the small troop of soldiers came marching back into the camp. Well, after a bunch of backslapping and congratulations and warming up by the fire, the captain pulled the men aside and he said, so tell me your story. Where have you been? What have you been doing? How on earth did you find your way back to the camp? And so the soldiers, they told him their story. They said, well, right away we got lost in the storm. We got turned around and turned around and turned around until we didn't have any idea where we were. And as the snow kept coming down, we got colder and colder and colder until we realized that we were going to freeze to death out there in the mountains. We decided that that was it. We decided that we, that we were all going to die out there in the storm. But then they said one of the guys realized that he had a, a map in his pocket. And so he pulled it out and we looked at it, and it, it wasn't able to, we weren't able to see it easily because of all the snow coming down, but we could see that it was a, a map of the mountains, and we realized that we would be able to use that map to find our way back to you. And so we set up a camp, and we waited for the storm to pass, and then when the blizzard was over, we took out that map, and we figured out where we were, and we, we followed it home. They said it wasn't easy, but that map, it, it saved all of our lives. It led us back to you. Well, the captain was astonished. He said, I want to see this map. 
I want to see this incredible life-saving map. Show me the map. And so they pulled out the map and they handed it to the captain and he unfolded it and he looked at the map. He examined it carefully and after a moment of close examination, the captain said a word that, that soldiers could get away with in the Alps during World War I, but pastors on Sunday morning at Court Street, not so much. He, he said a word, something along the lines of, holy cow, uh, and, and, and then he looked at the soldiers and he said, you realize this, this is not a map of the Alps. This is a map of the Pyrenees. This is a map of a completely different mountain range, 800 miles away, all the way on the other side of Europe. Well, Albert St. Georgia used to love telling that story. When he passed away, his friends, they kept on telling it. Over the last few decades, that, that story has been told in lots of settings by lots of different people. The, the lesson that we're supposed to take away from that story depends on who is doing the telling. For scientists, it's a, a story about the power of experimentation. When scientists tell the story, they end by saying, so get in your lab and do an experiment. Run, run some tests. You never know what you might find. Just get in the lab and, and muck around a bit. You might accidentally stumble over some truth. And, and when business leaders tell this, this story at seminars, it's about the power of, of having a plan. Just come up with a plan and start doing something. It doesn't even have to be a good plan. Just, just come up with a plan and get moving. This story has been told by, by lots of people to tell lots of different lessons over the last few decades. And this week, as I've been thinking about it, I've come to believe that, that there's probably a lesson in this story for the church as well. Because we're living in one of those moments when, when it's easy for us as followers of Jesus, as lovers of God, as believers in God's Holy Spirit, it is easy for us to feel like we're caught in a storm with zero visibility. It's easy for us right now to feel like we, we're all turned around and we don't know where to go. You know what I mean. When we look around ourselves, we see that, that hatred and evil are on the march in this world. And just this last week, a city in Germany declared a Nazi emergency. There's such a resurgence of Nazi feeling and Nazi sentiment and organization that they've declared a sort of human-made natural disaster. They've declared Nazism once again a threat to humanity and society and civilization. Closer to home, the FBI tells us that reports of hate crimes have increased by double digits every year for the last five years. And at this moment, when it seems like like hatred and evil are on the increase. Hatred and evil are on the march. It feels like the church, the church of Jesus is, is lost, wandering in the wilderness, not knowing where to go. The fastest growing religion in America right now is no religion at all. Our own denomination, the United Methodist Church right now, is racked by tension and conflict and controversy. The, the people who live within 10 minutes drive of this church, two-thirds of the people who live within a 10 minutes drive of this building have no connection to a congregation at all. Fewer than 10% of United Methodists are under the age of 30. And it is so easy right now to feel lost and stuck and overwhelmed as we look at the world, as we look at what's happening in the church. It's so easy to feel lost, to feel stuck. And what this story can teach us, the lesson in this story for God's people, the church is very simply this. When you feel lost and stuck and overwhelmed, sometimes the best thing to do is to just do something. Just pick a direction and start walking in it. Just get yourself in motion and give God the makings so God can make manufacture a miracle. 
That's what the disciples do in this morning's scripture reading. In today's gospel reading, we have the, the beginning of a story that we're going to be following throughout, throughout worship all through the month of November. This story comes from the end of the Gospel of John. This story tells us about events that happen in the days and in the weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. And the Gospel of John tells us that on Easter Sunday, all of the disciples, the followers, the friends of Jesus were gathered together in a, a sort of an upper room in the city of Jerusalem when suddenly Jesus appeared to them. He appeared among them. The disciples were frightened, but Jesus said, do not be afraid. He embraced them. He breathed on them. He proved to them that he was not a ghost. And the disciples were awestruck by their encounter with the risen Jesus. They couldn't wait to see what God was going to do next. And so they waited in that place. And sure enough, the next Sunday, Jesus appeared to them again in that same upper room. This time, Jesus said to them, put your finger in the holes in my hands. Put your hand in the hole in my side. And, and as they spent time with Jesus, the disciples felt their doubt and their fear beginning to melt away. They spent that whole next week waiting, guessing, trying to figure out what would happen when Jesus appeared to them again on the next Sunday. The next Sunday morning, the disciples got up early and they, they combed their hair and they brushed their teeth and they put on their best sandals and then they waited for Jesus to appear to them just like he had the previous two Sundays. They waited there in the upper room. They waited and they waited hour after hour after hour, but Jesus didn't show. The sun went down and Jesus had hadn't appeared to them at all. The disciples were heartbroken. They said, where can Jesus be? Why has he forgotten about us? He was supposed to visit with us today. And so the next week they waited in that upper room and they prayed and they pleaded with God, please send Jesus to us again. The next Sunday morning they gathered in that room and the room was crackling with tension and anxiety and they waited again hour after hour after hour. But once again for the second Sunday in a row, Jesus didn't appear. And as the sun started going down on that Sunday, the disciples turned to each other and they said, what are we supposed to do now? Where do we go? What is the plan? And it turned out nobody knew what to do. Nobody had a plan. And it wasn't long before the disciples started arguing and, and bickering with each other. Some of them said, well, maybe we should go out and look for Jesus. Maybe he's out there someplace waiting for us. But the other disciples said, what if we leave and then Jesus appears and he's here and nobody is, is here to greet him? And, and other disciples said, no, we should stay here. But they said, what if the plan is for us to get moving what are we supposed to do? The disciples were paralyzed by fear and division. They were at each other's throats. They were ready to, to tear each other apart. And in that moment of conflict, in that moment when it seemed like the disciples were lost and stuck and overwhelmed, that's when Simon Peter stepped forward. And Simon Peter is one of the most fascinating characters in all the Bible. The Gospels tell us more about Simon Peter than, than they tell us about all of the other disciples put together. You know, the story goes that Simon Peter was a fisherman. And one day he was sitting in his boat on the beach and he was mending his nets after a, a long day out on the water when this rabbi wandered past his boat walking along the beach. And this rabbi, this prophet turned to him and said, follow me, come with me and, and I will teach you how to fish for people. 
And there was something about his posture. There was something about his voice that burrowed into Simon Peter's soul. And he stood up and he left his nets and he left his boat and he left his home and he left his business behind. He left everything behind and he followed Jesus. And it wasn't long before it was clear that of all the disciples, nobody was more sold out for Jesus than Simon Peter was. Simon Peter became that that disciple who always sat at the front of the class. He became the student who always had an apple for the teacher. He became that, that student who always raised his hand when the teacher asked a question, even if he didn't know what the answer was. And there were a lot of moments when Simon Peter didn't know what the answer was. The Gospels make it clear that Simon Peter was not the sharpest fish hook in the tackle box. Simon Peter, Simon and Peter got the answers wrong, at least as often as he got the answers right. There was, was one occasion when Simon Peter got the answer to Jesus' question so spectacularly wrong that Jesus pointed at him and said, get behind me, Satan. The relationship between Jesus and Simon Peter was not always an easy relationship, but it was clear, it was clear that nobody loved Jesus more than Simon Peter loved Jesus. Nobody was going to work harder to please Jesus than Simon Peter was. Simon Peter was always ready to walk out on faith to try something, even if it meant he ended up looking awkward and ridiculous. And so it's no surprise that there, in that moment of conflict and fear in the upper room, it's no surprise that it was Simon Peter who stood up and got the disciples to get moving, just do something. Simon Peter stood up and he said, I can't just sit here. I'm not just going to sit here in this room arguing with you. I've got to do something. I'm going back to Galilee. I'm going back to the beach. I'm going back to the place where all of this started, where we first met Jesus. And he walked out the door. And half a dozen of the other disciples walked out after him because they didn't know what to do and he was doing something. And so they followed Simon Peter all the way back to Galilee. And that's where we find them this morning at the the beginning of our story. The disciples are, are sitting on the beach. The sun is coming up. And once again, they're looking at each other and wondering, well, what do we do now? We're back in Galilee. We're back where all of this started. Now, what do we do? And again, it's no surprise that it was Simon Peter who got up and got them moving. Simon Peter stood up and he looked at the disciples and he said, I'm going fishing. And so they all stood up and said, well, we're going fishing too because they didn't know what to do and he was doing something. And so they all got in the boat and they went out on the water and it felt good to be out on the water again. It felt good to be fishing again. It felt good to be using those muscles that they hadn't used for, for months and maybe even years. The, the disciples fell into that, that old familiar rhythm. They threw out the nets and they pulled the nets in. They threw out the nets and they pulled the nets in. They got lost in the activity and as they were fishing that morning, just for a little while, they forgot about their doubts. They forgot about their worry. They forgot about about their fear for just a little while that morning. They lost themselves in the fishing. But of course, you know it didn't last, right? Because as the morning went on, the nets kept coming back empty. And you know what happens when fishermen can't find any fish, right? The disciples started getting grumpy out there in the boat. They started getting snippy with each other out there in the boat. Suddenly it felt awfully crowded out there in that little boat. And they were hitting each other with their elbows. And they were stepping on each other's toes. And they were muttering at each other, have you never been in a boat before? It got to the point where the disciples were all ready to shove each other over the side of the boat. And as As the tension increased out there on the boat, suddenly the disciples heard a a voice calling out to them. Somebody, somebody, a man's voice shouted out, how's it going out there? 
You catching anything? That's what you always say when you meet a fisherman, right? You catching anything? And the disciples looked, and they saw a man standing just over there on the beach. And they sort of mutter shouted at him, no, there's no fish out here today. And so the man, he shouted again. He said, well, have you tried throwing your nets off the other side of the boat? And the Bible doesn't tell us what names the disciples called that man in that moment. But, but these were fishermen, right? These were salty seasoned sailors. And so you know they knew some good names. And as they were out there on the boat, they must have had some, some choice words for that man over there on the beach. What a such and such. What a knucklehead. Who does he think he is telling us where to throw our nets? Does he make him fun of us? Does he think we don't know that the lake that's on that side of the boat is the exact same lake that's over on this side of the boat. What a, what a knucklehead. And so they all grumbled and went back to their fishing and they all decided out there on the boat that they were just going to ignore that guy over there on the beach. All of the disciples decided to ignore that guy except, except for one disciple. And the Bible doesn't tell us which of the disciples it was who said, well, maybe we should give it a try. But we know, right? It had to be Simon Peter. It had to be the guy who was always ready to try something even if it seemed ridiculous. It had to be the guy who was always ready to raise his hand even when he didn't know the answer. It always had to be the guy who was was ready to take action even if he didn't have a plan. It had to be Simon Peter out there on the boat who said, What have we got to lose? Let's give it a try. And so grumpily, resentfully, the disciples pulled in their nets and they turned around and they threw their nets over on the other side of the boat. And like that, the nets were filled with fish, so many fish that they couldn't even pull them into the boat. And just like that, they realized who the man was who was standing over there on the beach. When we're lost, When we're stuck, when we're overwhelmed, sometimes the best thing to do is not sit around and argue about what ifs and what could go wrongs. The best thing to do is not to stay with each other in a committee meeting until we're ready to tear each other's throats out. The best thing to do when we're lost and stuck and overwhelmed sometimes is to just do something. Just pick a direction and start walking. Just get ourselves in motion. Go out into the streets of Flint and start giving people cider and donuts. Open up the doors of the church and put beds in the Sunday school classrooms and say to our neighbors, come in and crash at God's place for a week. Sometimes the best thing to do is say, let's have vacation Bible school over there across the street in the park. The best thing that we can do is to say, let's start a Saturday night worship service even though we got no idea what we're doing. Let's ask the teenagers what kind of worship. they. Let's put the teenagers in charge of the church and see what happens. Sometimes when we're lost and stuck and overwhelmed and we don't know what to do, do the best thing to do is to not worry so much about the plan and just do something we might end up looking ridiculous but then again we might end up giving God the makings of a miracle let's pray God we give you thanks we give you thanks for that long list of names on that piece of paper this morning That long list of names represents a long line of people who were willing to just do something. To get the church in motion. To make something happen and watch what you were able to do. God, we pray that you would give us their faith. Give us the faith of a Simon Peter. Give us the faith of the disciples who were willing to give it a try even though it seemed ridiculous. 
God, make us doers of ridiculous things. In the name of the Son, we pray. Amen.